0: Psalm 119, 153. Now let me read this for us, and then we'll pray and begin our, our time in the Word. Psalmist, just writes, See my affliction and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Many are your compassions, O Yahweh. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and loathe them, those who do not keep your word. See how I love your precepts, O Yahweh. Revive me according to your lovingkindness. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. Father, we want to commit our time to you. And what an amazing statement, uh, what a real true statement that the sum of your word is truth. It's reality um, and your judgments are everlasting. And so, Father, we desire to live according to your word, not uh, to do ministry according to your word, uh, Lord, to speak according to your word and act according to your word, because that's where life is. So, Father, bring life this morning. As we open up your word, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, and Lord, we thank you for Christ who has opened our eyes in order to help us to see the truth in your word. We thank you, and we pray this in your son's name, amen. All right, so if you've got your booklets, you can open up to page 47, 47 so it's kind of part two of how should we do ministry. Uh, looking really at uh, philosophy of ministry and, and how we think about that, how we develop that. Uh, and philosophy of ministry is just really what guides us in ministry. And of course, that's that's the scriptures ultimately. It, it, it's all got to be tied to that. And so, so there's some careful thinking in in terms of what the scriptures would say about how we do ministry. So we're going to begin with the third principles that govern a faithful philosophy of ministry on page forty seven um, <clears throat> I won't read it to you, but there's our, our verse again I mean it's always there every time we we open up we got ephesians four uh, and this is just the passage that talks about you know, giving christ giving apostles and prophets and evangelists and um, doing this in order to equip the saints for the work of the ministry uh, until we all grow into the full knowledge uh, of Christ and the unity of the faith. And so you know, that's kind of the underlining verse here, some principles that are governing us. So the first thing he says under this is it should all be done to the glory of God. It should all be done to the glory of God. And 1 Corinthians 10 31, uh, Paul's having the discussion uh, surrounding preferences in some ways, or whether we can eat this or not eat this. And at the end, he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this is what he says should guide us in our ministry, in whatever we do, in whatever our calling is. Um, And so I would... Same one sense we want to be careful between making distinctions between like this this work is for the Lord and and this work is for whatever your company is that you work for um, instead you want to put it all under the umbrella of all of this is for the glory of God now, I have a calling on my life and whatever my hand finds to do I am to do it with all of my might unto the Lord and In doing this, you begin to see that there really is a a ministry in one sense in, in everything that we do. But certainly if that's true for all of life and for whatever you're doing, whether that's mowing the lawn or doing the dishes, then certainly that is true for ministry in the local church. Because if this gets out of line, if all of a sudden I begin to do what I'm doing in the church for my own glory, so that I would be seen well we've we've just really got off track, and so he says we should never do ministry in order to be viewed as successful, and this would certainly be a temptation that would be fueled by kind of worldly pride. Um, and certainly this is a temptation that that many pastors, church leaders, churches. Uh, have given into. They aim for success, not in God's eyes. It's not for the Lord's glory, but they're aiming for success according to worldly standards, in the world's eyes. They they want to have a seat at the table with the experts, and so this becomes or begins to be a kind of underlying philosophy of ministry that turns the ship in a really bad uh, direction. Another thing he says is that. We shouldn't be doing what we're doing in order to have the results terminate on us. Um, And by which I think he means in order to have everything give us the credit. And so we shouldn't be doing right things simply hoping or thinking that people will think of us highly. And I think that can be something that's very subtle. Uh, that can get in there because the reality is within church, uh, people are going to most likely think of you highly until they don't. And so if that is the the standard by which you're operating, that may go good for a little while as far as keeping you doing the right thing. But as soon as they turn, uh, their desires get pulled in a different direction well, than yours are too because you're doing it not for the Lord. You're not standing on the convictions of the Word of God, but you're standing upon pleasing men. And that ship will turn uh, real quick. You can turn over to Matthew 6, verses 6 through 8. Uh, This is essentially the philosophy of of ministry that the Pharisees had. Uh, And so, of course, we want to avoid that. Actually, we'll start with verse 1 in Matthew 6, 1 through 8. Jesus talked to the Pharisees, said, Beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be glorified by men. So there it is, everything switched, not seeking to glorify the Lord, but ourselves. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, which is essentially nothing. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when, or but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what's a strategy for making sure uh, that we don't get off in this direction? Now, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. D- do what you do in order not to be noticed by men. Now, of course, there's going to be a certain <laughs> sense where this can't, be avoided at times people are going to see you do and and of course jesus says hey put your light on a hill to take it out from under the uh the bushel okay and let it shine and so there is a certain sense that we do that but we want to be careful of our heart motivation being i'm, I'm doing this to be seen so if possible we don't do our works in that way we even do them in secret impossible why because we know our hearts and what our heart would love and so We follow what the Lord says. We make no provision for our flesh in that way, and we don't seek after uh, the rewards that come from the glory of men. Uh, And so we don't do it in order to get the credit. Another thing he says it should not be geared, or it should be geared towards Christ's likeness. Uh, Everything that we do, uh, we want to be made like Christ, we want others to be like Christ. Uh, this means we're not trying to create disciples of us uh, or clones of us. They don't have to be like us, and, and aren't we thankful? There's so many gifts that we don't have that others have. Um, it's, this is a body with many different gifts, and so the goal is that they would be like Christ. He says the sheep are to think like Christ, speak like Christ, and act like Christ. Um Ephesians 4.20, we are to always be learning from Christ. Paul says you did not learn from Christ. We learned on Sunday that this is a continual kind of learning. And so we're putting that before people, which means this is going to require on our part a lot of study and a lot of meditation. And it's also going to require a lot of practice. Um, As we study the Scriptures, we meditate on the Scriptures, and we practice the Scriptures, we begin to be conformed into the image of Christ, and we'll know better how to help others uh, do that as well. C, he says, it is consistent. It has a consistent and unified approach to ministry. And I think what we could say here is, is even what we've just said, think like Christ, speak like Christ, act like Christ, this all has to be consistent. Now this is what faithfulness is. Um, it's it's doing the same thing for a long time. Uh, you're proving yourself faithful in the word. Uh, when you do this, everything is unified. A unified approach to ministry, um, as far as a philosophy of ministry. And, and let me just read you real quick our philosophy of ministry here at this church, so you you know what we're working from. Some of you, I think. Probably most of you have gone through our membership process, so you've heard this before. But here's the purpose of Believers Fellowship: we exist to glorify God by presenting every man complete in Christ. Of course, you know where that comes from, right? Comes from Exodus 29. Comes from Colossians 1:28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so there is an example of philosophy of ministry. This is what we're aiming at in each ministry that we are in, whether that's a small group ministry, a fellowship group ministry, a Sunday school class, VBS, the main pulpit. Um, we're all aimed at this. The practice of believers fellowship is to exalt God in our daily lives and by true biblical worship. Here's one of the verses we've looked at this morning, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We want to exalt the Lord. Um, Also to edify believers by building each other up, loving the flock, and practicing the biblical one another. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, And so... Each of us are here, and Believer's Fellowship exists to build one another's up. And if you read Ephesians chapter 4, this is what Paul's aiming at. He wants the Ephesian believers not to tear one another down, but to build one another up, to give thought to this, to carefully practice this, to form their words in such a way, to know the truth so that they can do this, to be equipped to do this. And so we exist to, to do that. And also evangelizing the lost. Matthew twenty eight nineteen through 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we exist to present every man mature in Christ. We do that by exalting the Lord, edifying believers, and evangelizing the lost. These are the things that we have here in order to keep us on uh, the right track in the different ministries the Lord has for us. Uh, and so just an example there of a philosophy of ministry. There, there's more you could say. It doesn't say everything, um, but it definitely gives us a, a blueprint for where we want to aim. And that is essentially some of the things that he says here. He says the sheep should be built up in, in the faith. Uh, they should mature spiritually spiritually. Um, the sheep should be a- equipped to, to do ministry. So these are all things that w- we've got in mind within that philosophy of, of ministry. Um, another thing that would inform the philosophy of ministry it is concerned with doctrinal uh, precision. Um, and so there's an understanding that this is sufficient. Uh, this is inerrant. There's an understanding that we need to, to be careful in our study of the word, be careful in the way that we say things. And make sure that it's tied uh, to this, um, and if you spend any amount of time studying the Word of God, you you quickly see that every word matters. Um, now th- you have to be careful; you can't you know, take your your convictions that maybe may not be essential as far as unity comes, and, and trump those up to a level to where we divide over things like that, because that would be against what the Bible is saying. Um, But nevertheless, uh, even in those differences, every word does matter, because it's written by the Word of God. And so because every word matters, uh, and the Holy Spirit has had it written down precisely, uh, we want to study it with that kind of careful uh, precision. He says, if we do this, uh, then what is produced is the unity of faith. Unity of faith comes as we are unified around the truth written by the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so another reason we want to be doctrinally precise is because of this. Um, Another thing from Jude 3, we have this term, uh, the faith, which was handed once down to the saints. Paul says, I felt compelled to write to you, exhorting to you that you contend earnestly for the faith definite article, which was um, handed down once for all for the saints. And then he before that says a common salvation. Uh, And so there's not many faiths. There's not many interpretations. There is one. Uh, And so we want to be doctrinally uh, precise in that. Uh, I mean, an example of that, I don't know if you followed some of the Andy Stanley stuff. and, And so now it's like, Al Mohler's saying something, and Andy Stanley's you know standing up and saying something. Um, and so I did a little bit of reading on that yesterday, and what you hear from Andy Stanley is just not doctrinally careful or precise at all. Uh, he says some things that are true, you know, and one of the things that he said was, well, Al Mohler and people in that camp, you know, they're drawing hard lines. Um, but Jesus drew circles, you know, to include everyone. And you know what? There's a certain sense where that's true, right? I mean, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Um, he was not partial. I and mean, You know, he spoke to everyone. But there's also, if we're being careful and precise, Jesus drew some lines, uh, some really hard lines, right? <laughs> and so if you don't have this idea that we're going to be precise and careful with the Scriptures— um, pretty soon, yeah, you're drawing circles that don't include Jesus. Uh, and then you're you're in a bad circle, and you don't want to be there. So we want to be doctrinally precise. Um, connected to that, he says, strategic and thoroughly biblical. God's Word lights our path. Um, it's driven by the explicit teaching of Scripture expositionally, verse by verse, uh, drawing out the meaning of it. Um, from the context, um, and then it says it's driven by implicit methodologies seen in Scripture as well. So our methodology, the, the, uh, the thing that informs our practice, the, the boots on the ground kind of thing, this is informed and driven by Scripture and, and not by a pragmatic kind of approach. Um, and so we need to keep that in mind. Fourthly, Four key components that permeate every aspect of a faithful ministry. Uh, These things come, he says it here, from John MacArthur, the leadership there at Grace Community Church, as they've kind of sought to do their own philosophy of ministry. And I think in particular one sermon that uh, that John preached, because I remember some of these uh, little subtitles. But he says, first, we need to have a high view of God. We need to have a high view of God. Um, Having a high view of God produces a a right view of the church, uh, of worship. It produces a a right view of ourselves. It keeps us in our place. Uh, A right view of God means that we need to be careful with His Word. Uh, We shouldn't tamper with it. And so if we begin with a right view of God, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Uh, well, then it's always going to keep us on the right path. And certainly within the church, God's household, we have to begin with a high view, a scriptural view of who God is. He says a failure to have a high view of God leads to a toleration of sin and a focus on man's evaluation rather than God's truth. And I think you see that going on in Andy Stanley's church right now. There's a toleration of sin. And a focus on man's evaluation of what we should do rather than God's. Uh, Similar to what I said this last Sunday, we are to be righteously angry and not sin. Well, righteous anger is produced from a high view of God and a great respect for His Word. God is holy, He's righteous, and He is just. He's revealed Himself in a certain way. And in all these verses, that he has on there, point to that. And so we want to have a careful study of who God is and let that inform our ministry at the church as well as all of life. Now, he says, we then must be holy as God is holy. So if we don't know who God is, well, well, then we're going to miss the mark because holy means to be set apart. We can't be set apart like someone or like God if we don't know who he is. Is And so this is really the, the foundational groundwork for our sanctification, even. Uh, another thing we must have in the church is the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. The authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, so we must know this is what informs where we go, what we say, how we do, um, our practice. Um, everything is informed by this. The, the reason we do this in the church, this in the church, this in the church It comes from the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. When we counsel one another, we're counseling one another with the idea that the Scripture is sufficient. In other words, I'm not having to go and and read all the latest psychology and, and psycho babble kind of stuff in order to figure out how do I counsel this person. It's all right here, and the Scripture is sufficient. And so that keeps us... On the right path, this is the sole authority for our lives and conduct. He says it's sufficient, meaning it's relevant for every situation. Uh, it's through explicit instruction. Um, and so it's clear instruction um, and also through implicit principles. And so there are some things that are obviously very clear in Scripture. Um, but just to give you an example, one that we're going to be looking at this Sunday: Do not steal. Uh, that's one of the Ten Commandments. That's that's clear. We get that, but there is a there's a lot of implications from that. Uh, do not steal, meaning material things. Do not steal ideas from people. Do not steal time. Uh, there's just as you start going down <clears throat> the list, do not steal has a lot of implications. Um, it also implies that we're working hard, uh, that we're making it our own way, you know. And so just because we understand it on the surface doesn't mean we understand all the implications that are behind it. And when you begin to see that in Scripture, you begin to realize Scripture has a depth that is really can't be plumbed. <laughs> uh, and it just opens up a whole exciting world um, of study in that way. So through it, implicit scriptures. It also informs what he calls an accurate anthropology, which is to say an accurate view of man. We need to start there in the church. Man is totally depraved. Uh, we're a bunch of wretches in the church. Um, we can't do good on our own. Our heart is deceitfully wicked, continually driven by selfishness and evil. Okay, So this kind of understanding is going to inform how we do evangelism. And so if the church is starting with man is good, uh, well, then, hey, we're going to go into evangelism. We don't really need to pray. And, you know, the person with the best argument wins kind of thing. But if we understand man is depraved, he's selfish, he's lost, his eyes will never be. I mean, then it all of a sudden we're on our knees. Uh, Father, help. There's nothing I can say here that's going to open up his eyes. And so take the truth. I, I know your will is that no man would be lost, that everyone would come to a knowledge of your son and so help and so you need to have an accurate anthropology in the church and then the last thing they have here is a proper understanding of the purpose in the church i've already gone over some of this but quickly the church exists to worship and glorify god the church is the repository of divine truth that verse it is the pillar and support or buttress of the truth the church encourages mutual edification Um, and the church provides the context of the use of spiritual gifts, so that's body life, and the church is to be a light in the dark world. And so you see uh, lots of things as we go over different churches' approaches to philosophy of ministry. There's a lot of overlap in in how uh, each one is thinking about this because we're all working from the same uh, book here. Um, And so there is Grace Community Church's Philosophy of ministry, you might say. Fifth, we need to understand Satan's agenda with the church's philosophy of ministry. Satan has an agenda as well. He's got a playbook as well. Satan knows what is at stake. Um, And so uh, we need to know what's at stake as well. Uh, Richard Baxter once said, I speak as a dying man to dying men. Uh, Master Seminary has a tagline, we train men like lives depend upon it, um, because it it does. So there's a lot at stake here. Uh, Gospel influence is at stake. Um, Evangelizing the world is at stake. The sanctification of God's people, them being set apart, is at stake. Uh, God's glory is at stake. In and, and each one of these things, Satan would love to uh, thwart, to stop um, things. And, and he knows that if he can appear as an angel of light in order to get us off the track of the light, uh, that he can begin to throw the, the whole thing off. Or if he can introduce into the body a, a little bit of leaven, a little bit of disunity, a little bit of disorder, then all of a sudden he have stopped the train in its tracks. And we're not going down the philosophy of ministry path that the Word of God sets before us. He says that he will seek to distract. Uh, He'll do this by weakening our fundamentals, stopping what truly matters, equipping teaching and evangelism, and all of a sudden the church gets off and doing things that really aren't a high priority in the Word of God. There's all kinds of things we could do, um, but we want to do what God calls us. Uh, to do. This isn't just a social club. He does it by propagating false doctrine. He'll introduce someone in the church, uh, give them a position of some kind, or allow them to get a position of some kind, and then all of a sudden uh, the false doctrine starts to come out. And if that church doesn't have a high view of God and a high view of Scripture, uh, they won't confront it, and then it will permeate the church. He tempts us with pragmatic results. Uh, the CEO model, uh, this is what, get li- what gets likes. Um, it tickles the ears. Uh, and this church forgets the audience of one. And this is really tempting in today's culture, um, this whole idea of, of getting likes. I mean, you can be on social media, you can have your platforms uh, you can get your pragmatic results. There's all kinds of books, leadership books that would help you in this. And there's a whole group of churches and church leaders that this is really what they're all about. It's, it's more of a business. Um, and so we don't want to be tempted by pragmatic as results because then eventually we're just going to do what we think works. And now, again, we're off the path. We can't forget that before the world, this seems foolish. Uh, we don't seem wise. And so if we're beginning to seem wise in the world's eyes, we, we probably need to stop and make sure uh, that we're still basing what we're doing on the God who is wise. Um, another one I wrote down is, is inward conflict. He would certainly seek to stop us with conflicts in the church. Um, and then also it says that he convinces the deceived of their maturity and influence. He convinces the deceived of their maturity and influence. A couple more I had, uh, he seeks to discourage, and so it kind of creates a kind of self-pity in the church, and now all of a sudden our eyes are on ourselves, we're discouraged, and when you're discouraged, you're not doing what you've been called to do. And he also seeks to separate and to isolate And so if he can ruin relationships, or if he can get us to the point where we're not willing to put in the work of relationships, he's separated us, he's isolated us, now we're not together, we're not as strong, Uh, we don't have the benefit of all the gifts in the body being used, we're just by ourselves. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to to devour someone, seeking someone to devour. And that someone is singular in the Greek and the English. Uh, And so these are some of the things that Satan would try to do. And then he ends with results of a biblical philosophy of ministry. Here's just some things that would hopefully be an encouragement to do the right thing. The church is built up. Um, we become more like Christ. We're matured. The church is unified in its doctrine. Uh, and especially in the essentials of doctrine. The church becomes more like Jesus Christ, the, the head. This is who saved us, called us, brought us into the church. This is the one that we love, that we want to be like, and if we do these things, we become more like him. The church is protected from falsehood and deception. And so as we look all around and we see people giving in to false doctrine, we see churches straying off, If we stick to what God has said, we are protected uh, from that. Uh, Satan is crafty, but we can be protected from his deceitful schemes. And the church has an actual gospel influence. The light shines uh, in the darkness, and people get saved, and the church begins to have the kind of influence that Christ intends for us to have. And then the last one that I wrote down would be heavenly rewards. If we do things for the glory of God, according to His Word, there is a promise of reward. And that may not be in this life. He doesn't promise us that in this life. Generally speaking, I, I do believe there are blessings that come in this life too from obeying God's Word, but not always but it's not a generally speaking kind of statement when it comes to heaven. Everyone who lives according to God's word will be rewarded in heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're stewards. And one day if we live according to that, there is this promise that we'll hear those words from the Lord and be rewarded. So that's what I have for us this morning. We've got some questions. Let me pray for us. We'll go to our groups. Father, we thank you, Lord. Uh, for your word which has been given. It's it's clear. It puts before us a good path. Lord, the more that we walk on it, the more that we see that, the more that we eat of it, the more that we want of it. And so, Lord, keep us hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Lord, help this to be a church that um, has a, a thorough, solid, um, strong foundation of ministry, a philosophy of ministry that is built upon your word in each thing that we do. Lord, give us the courage to, to cut out things that aren't in accordance with this and to add things that are, Lord, as you continue to direct us. Be with us now as we go uh, to our tables. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray this in your name. Amen.